0: Boom. What's up, Familia? Dayspring here with an episode of Power of X-Men to discuss the top 10 worst things of X-Men slash Marvel in 2023. Ah! Familia, I am so sorry, it does not bring me any pleasure making this list whatsoever. But when i was brainstorming end of the year lists that i was thinking of doing you know me and flink are gonna do our top 10 marvel legends i wanted to do like top 10 moments in the x-men comics and i was like well there was a lot that happened that were some missteps in the comics in the mcu and it's been a rough year to be a marvel fan it's been a rough year to be a comic book fan in general but you know we thought the MCU could do no wrong, right? And last year, we kind of got a little bit of a taste that things could go south in the MCU with Multiverse of Madness. They did Wanda Dirty in Multiverse of Madness. And of course, Michael Waldron and and, and Sam Raimi did not even see WandaVision, which was absurd to me because I get that WandaVision was probably not finished while they started doing Multiverse of Madness. But Um, You have Elizabeth Olsen on set, so you can sit down and talk to Elizabeth Olsen about what happened in WandaVision. And also, you're part of the same company. It's as easy as just sending dailies to the other team or getting everyone on a Zoom meeting to discuss their scripts. Because we're not talking that this is just like, oh, dirt, just a small little indie project. These are multi-billion dollar franchises that... You want to make sure all connect. So it was baffling to me that Multiverse of Madness couldn't really deliver a consistent story. And then we got Thor Love and Thunder, which, oh, I mean, let me tell you, we were all excited to see Natalie Portman return as Jane Foster and take on the mantle of Mighty Thor. I cannot believe they messed that story up. Oh, so, so. You know, we did have a little taste that things can go south. And here we are in a world where the Marvels has bombed. But it wasn't even just the MCU. There were some serious missteps in the comics. There are some missteps going on in the industry, whether you're collecting, whether you're buying from comiXology. And I thought we could dissect everything that's happened this last year. And sort of talk about it as a community. So folks, before we begin, ring that notification bell, hit that subscribe button for Power of X-Men. We are still trying to grow the YouTube channel here. Our numbers are way better on the podcast, but we are trying to do YouTube. I think there's more autonomy on YouTube for a creator, and you have a chance to actually discuss things as a community. And my background hopefully will soon change because we are in the New York apartment, and we are just waiting to get some of our stuff from Miami and just move it here. But this will predominantly be our recording space, this and the the spot I have down in Miami. All right let's kick off our list of the top 10 worst things that has happened this year as it pertains to X-Men and Marvel. And number 10 is Hasbro's round of layoffs. Ah, And it's only number 10 on the list because we don't yet know if Dan, Ryan, or Dwight are in any way, shape, or form affected by this. But You know, everything going on with Hasbro is very upsetting. News, we want Hasbro to thrive. I mentioned this in another video. We are living in a golden age of Marvel Legends. (laughs) I'm telling you, I have been collecting the lines since 2002, and we only dreamt of getting an Emma Frost one day. And now we have plenty of Emma Frost, ranging from her Black Queen X-Men Revolution outfit to her traditional Hellfire club outfit and you can pre-order the figures oh that just makes all the difference in the world although I still love hunting I still love hunting figures I went hunting for the Spider-Man No Way Home Peter's figures and let me tell you something going to Walmart and finding Toby Andrew and Tom right there on the shelves oh it brings so much joy but regardless Marvel Legends used to be so incredibly scarce And now they're very available. So we're we're so happy with that. But, you know, when I posted the video about everything that was going on with Hasbro, Tugger Knot Collectibles was telling me that there are, you know, in his area, even older waves that are going for about $7, you know, US $7. And I, for the first time ever, went to Ollie's last month with my mother-in-law because she was here, like, oh, there's so much Marvel stuff there. You're going to love it. And I was like, you know I collect Marvel stuff? My God, best mother-in-law ever. But I got there, and she was, in fact, right. And the more I've thought about it, the more I've been like, wow, they did have a lot of Age of Apocalypse Wave 2 figures there. Oh, and the Toys R Us here at American Dream Mall. They have a Toys R Us store at American Dream Mall here in Jersey. I, I went in and it was all like Marvel Legends, Age of Apocalypse figures. And I even recorded a video of it. I never posted it on the Instagram, but it was kind of like me walking to Toys R Us after like however long they've been gone and being thoroughly disappointed that they have out of date waves, not even the new stuff. So I guess there is, as Tuggernaut Collectibles said, an overproduction of these Marvel Legends and they're being dumped on these secondary markets and they're going for very cheap. So ah, it makes me really upset but you know not only is everything going on with Hasbro in terms of the layoffs and what's going on with like Marvel Legends but also the packaging for Marvel Legends the the chode wave we got this year Man, those are ugly. That is ugly as sin packaging. I'm sorry. I'm glad they're environmentally friendly. I will always choose environmentally friendly packaging before anything else. But my goodness, as compared to the No Way Home figures, when you pick them up and you see them in that, you know, display window, oh, it's gorgeous. But The Chode Wave packaging that is ugliest, and and it's very uninspiring too. It's just kind of little blocks that you just throw there, and you open it up, and they slide out, and things are wrapped. I don't know. It's not ceremonious, and oh, you. One of the things about collecting legends, on, on the whole spectrum of collecting legends, and what makes legends so special is also just. Being able to ceremoniously unbox the figures. Oh, I know that is such a nitpicky thing. I am sorry. Again, I choose environmentally friendly packaging over anything else. However, because we are having this discussion I have to tell you, just being able to open up those figures in, in, in 2002, the clamshell, and then it, especially if it's like a big like three-pack box and just pop those figures out or untwist them out. Oh, I love it so much. I did it for the Batman and Robin figures when I found them at GameStop a couple of weeks ago. And just being able to put Batman and Robin on in the background and untwist these figures and assemble Mr. Freeze. It's so much fun. And with Marvel Legends, unfortunately, this last wave, it just feels very, you know, mechanical, just pop it open, go and the figure falls out and you just on, you know, there's tissue paper, or some kind of like plastic wrapping over the build of figure parts. It's just not as fun, but Yeah, so number 10 is Hasbro. They continue to deliver. We are so happy with Hasbro and the Hasbro team. They continue to deliver, and this is why it's at number 10. But they wouldn't be on the list if it hadn't been for that round of layoffs because we we don't want Hasbro to go away, and that's a very bad thing if Hasbro goes away because, again, this Legends line has lasted such a long time. And I think about the 5-inch X-Men figures that we collected while we were growing up. And they went away, and it was very sad, and I don't want Legends to go away. And this line has been around for over 20 years. That is two decades, over two decades, Marvel Legends has been around. We want them to continue. All right, number nine is Kamala Khan's resurrection as a mutant. This has just been an entire mess of a situation. And I want to say, and I want to preface this by saying I love Kamala Khan. We've talked about how much I love Kamala Khan here on the podcast. This is not a criticism on the Kamala Khan character. This is more of a criticism on film rights and editorial direction. Because they killed off Miss Marvel in Spider-Man. And everyone was furious about it. And Zeb Wells had like made a quote, or one of the editorial team members had made a quote, that Zeb wasn't even going to be able to go to comic book conventions because people were going to be so mad at him for who he's going to kill off in Spider-Man. And then, of course, it leaked that it was Kamala Khan. And everyone was like, why are you killing Kamala Khan in a Spider-Man book? (laughs) And we now know with the gift of retrospection why she was killed off in the Spider-Man book. was because of the MCU film rights, right? Because there was just going to be this huge push for Kamala. And so we had her already as part of a Krakoan title earlier. I guess it would be last year. I was going to say earlier in the year, but last year in 2022, and then she would be in Spider-Man and then she would be resurrected at the Hellfire Gala. So they were giving her a little tour of the Marvel Universe in the comics because there was going to be such a push for her in the MCU. Now, I am not a fan of this character being a mutant. I love Kamala as a member of the Champions. I love Kamala as an Inhuman. I love Kamala as a solo series. I think that... First volume of Miss Marvel that takes place in Jersey City. I'm in Hoboken, so Jersey City. So it's a very personal title to me. I read it as it was being published. I loved it so much. And I know the comments always come in over and over again. But Day Spring, she was originally supposed to be a mutant. Yes. Well, Storm was originally supposed to be a cat. Nightcrawler was originally supposed to be part of DC and the Legion of Superheroes, right? There are a lot of things that happen on the back end that don't make it to print publication. And unfortunately, Ms. Marvel being a mutant was one of them. Now, Mm -hmm. that would be fine if you told me there was nothing happening uh, with her in the MCU and you laid a good story for her to be a mutant in the comics, not rush something or not do something that's so transparent. A film rights grab. I would be 100% on board with Kamala being a mutant then. But the fact of the matter is, when you look at the Miss Marvel TV series, they they spend the entire time discussing a new origin for her, giving her new powers, and then... In a post-credit scene that was obviously shoehorned after production, <laughs> where a high school student—I—I I forget the character's name—but he looks at Kamala. And he's like, "There's something in you. There, you have a mutation." And then they play the X-Men '97 theme. You're telling me in a world of Shuri's, of Tony Stark's, of Bruce Banner's that. And a high school student is the one who discovered the X gene in, in, in the, I was going to say the 616, but I guess I'm not wrong when I say 616 because the MCU is designated as Earth 616. Mm, that's another thing, but that, that's from last year. But anyways, so you're going to tell me that a high school student in the MCU discovered the X gene. No, I'm sorry. Again, why didn't Shuri Discover the X-Gene, when we had no amor anymore in Wakanda forever. My name, Bruce Banner, discovered the X-Gene. I mean, those characters make sense to discover the X-Gene, not just some random character on a Disney Plus show. So it just it made me upset that that series took such a, a strong position that Kamala was a djinn, that her her power comes from these bracelets, that is a familial line. And and by the way, I was sold on it. I knew we all knew that they weren't going to make her an Inhuman because of everything that was that went down with the Inhumans in the MCU, and that makes me sad because I've said this before. I want a Marvel universe that has Inhumans, mutants, Fantastic Four, Spider Man, uh, Fantastic Four, Avengers. I want them all in the. Marvel Universe so I don't like this in humans erasure I'm saying it as someone who had to live through IVX I am saying it I do not like this in humans erasure I think what also just like just gets me so like gets my blood boiling is that then they resurrect her in the Hellfire Gala in the comics. They resurrect her and she's a mutant. She's half mutant, she's half inhuman, and she has a mutant power set that no one knows anything about. Never mind that we have Rasputin there who knows all about Kamala, who's like, Kamala, you're such a big hero from where I come from. And no one's like, Oh, is she? Because we need to know what her mutant powers are, and we're kind of stumped on it. But it, it, it's lazy writing. It is lazy writing, I will tell you that. Because again, what the way that scene could have happened at the Hellfire Gala, Rasputin could have come up to Miss Marvel and was like, oh my god, you're Miss Marvel, you're my hero, you're such a legend from where I come from. And Miss Marvel can be like, really, I am? I don't feel that way. What's my mutant power? And Rasputin's like, you don't know it? And then you just cut the scene off right there. It's that easy! Not Don't have these characters act stupid. So, already... In the comic books, because she's been affected by the MCU film rights, she's already been killed off in Spider-Man and it upset all these fans. And then you resurrect her as a mutant in in X-Men, and it's poor writing. It just really upsets me, and I think the character deserves better. And I've said this before on the podcast. Kamala is one of those characters that has been created within the last decade that has landed well with readers. So much so that a lot of X-Men fans really do like her as a mutant. That's great. I love it. If you love Kamala as a mutant, that's great. And as I've said, I welcome her to the fold. However, because of the film rights, this is my big apprehension. Because of the film rights, she is now a mutant in the comics. And what's going on with Kamala in the MCU? Well, the Miss Marvel show is the lowest watched Disney Plus show. The Marvels was a massive box office bomb. Does this now mean that they're just going to not give Kamala the spotlight? Because she's like front and center for Rise and Fall, kicking off in January. So does this mean that she's not going to have the spotlight anymore? I would have rather them just not touch the character like they did because of film rights. And let her exist in the way she has historically existed in the comics. I love her as part of the Champions. I cannot stress that enough. I love her solo series. Mala is a character that's engineered to have a really good solo series. She can carry her own book. She doesn't need to be a shoehorned into an X-Men book because again, what we're getting for rise and fall, she's going to be front and center and no offense. Listen, Kamala just hasn't had that big of a presence on Krakoa these last few years. She does now because she was resurrected during the hellfire gala, but that was in July. And now you're going to give her a prime spot all this panel time in a big crossover event that's gonna end the Kirkkoan age in January? No, don't do that. Especially since, again, if we're if this character is being dictated by film rights, is she even gonna be around? And it really upsets me because Iman Vellani, wonderful actress. I although her series, the, the series she's writing for Ms. Marvel is not very good. <laughs> it's not very good. I mean, there's a lot of plot holes in there, but that's not on the list, so. But Iman Vellani is such a wonderful actress. I wish they would have taken her in a direction other than making her muted in the MCU. I love, and spoiler warning for the Marvels, spoiler warning for the Marvels. I love that she is assembling the young adventures. I think that's great. Listen, the person in me who's very nitpicky, I'm like, oh, I wish it's, I hope it's champions, but it's clearly the young adventures because it's Kate Bishop and, and, and Cassie. But I understand why they would collate these teams. Maybe they can splinter off later. But but to wrap my thoughts, I love that Kamala has such a strong feature in the MCU and in the comics. I just think this is the wrong approach. And I think you're setting up the character for failure if you're going to dictate her stories based off of MCU film rights. I'm sorry. I... Just don't see it. I just don't see things ending well. I've been a fanboy for a very long time. I turned 40 this year. I started collecting and engaging in fan community when I was about nine. I'm going on three over three decades here. It just makes me nervous to see her being dictated by the film rights, and the character deserves so much better. All right, number eight Moira Axe. Oh my gosh. Familia, I can't. I can't with Moira X. I can't. It baffles me that Moira X, when we were told during Hawksbox that Moira was a mutant this entire time, and that not only is she a mutant, but she has the gift of reincarnation, and she has lived multiple lives. And every life she lives, mutants always fail. Everyone loved it. And wait. Hang on, because we are in the internet in 2023. I'm not saying everyone. I I know there are people out there who haven't liked it. I've seen some comments before. The majority of fans accepted the story and enjoyed the retcon. Hox brought so many people back to the X-Men franchise. It revitalized the X-Men franchise. And with Moira at the center of it, not only was Moira at the center of it, the drama and the plotting was so well done because in a previous life, Destiny had seen that Moira cures the mutants and is like, no, I've seen all the good work you do as a geneticist and I don't care for it. Burn her alive. So Mystique and Destiny burned Moira in a previous life. So in this life, Moira is like, okay, we've established Krakoa, but the one thing we can't have are precox No resurrection of precox So genius because moira is masquerading her intent here right she's saying oh we can't have precogs because if not they'll always know we lose and that mutants are always destined to lose and secretly you know it's because she's here like no fuck that we're not bringing destiny back that bitch burned me in a previous life (laughs) so it was so well done. Moira was a very fleshed out, realized individual. It, it, she wasn't even a villain. She was just a, a character that had lived multiple lives, who had been trying to save mutants, and, and sees that were they're always destined to fail. I will say the motive of, oh, we can't have any precogs on Krakoa, because they'll know we always fail. It's like, well, the X-Men, come on. There's a new dystopian future every week. What what does it matter? But. Something happened during Inferno, after Inferno. And I don't think she was poorly written in Inferno, per se. But I think it was when we got to 10 lives and 10 deaths of Wolverine, where she started really just becoming a mustache-twirling villain. To the point now that she murdered our God Queen at the Hellfire Gala, was responsible for that massacre, had joined Orcus. And now we're getting one of the covers in for 2023, for Rise and Fall, and someone's pointing a gun at her, and I think I could join all of fandom in saying, yeah, kill her. That's it. Get rid of that character. She's done. And it really is upsetting, because this is a character that has so so much potential. She was so beloved, traditionally, in X-Men history, but... Bringing her back during the Krakon age, we didn't even get to really see her talk to Banshee. I mean, I know she had a scene with Proteus, but you know, Banshee and Wolfsbane, those are characters I would have liked to have seen her have fully realized conversations with. Instead, she just skinned Banshee? I don't know. And again, I, I maintain that if you really wanted to tell a good Moira story, destiny being resurrected and moira and destiny going at it would be your story and maybe that's what we'll get for rise and fall but i said this before in a previous episode in hindsight i think destiny was resurrected too early in the Krokoan age i think i would have saved destiny's resurrection for an act three you know final boss battle and have moira and destiny go at it and again The way their powers worked, I mean, Hickman really did think about this. Hickman thought about this very deeply because the way Moira's powers and Destiny's powers work is that no matter what happens, if Moira ever tries to do something to Destiny, well— Moira will be shit out of luck because Destiny is older, her mutant abilities will kick in, she has the ability to see the future, so by the time Moira is born with the knowledge of her previous life, Destiny is already equipped to take her on. It is brilliant, that is brilliant, and yet it has been wasted tremendously. And again, there's so much wasted potential with Moira as a character. I mean, she was resurrected during Chaos War, and she was possessed by Destiny. I mean, so much wasted potential. In the Days of Future Past arc, when Destiny and the Brotherhood arrive. Destiny's like, I can't see the future. There's something blocking it. We all thought it was Kate, but it could have easily been Moira. Such wasted potential. This is what happened, and I don't want to be shady, but this is what happens when you don't have people who are as engaged as writers on these characters. Like You can always tell when a writer truly loves the history of this character, understands the essence of this character, and you can also tell when people are just phoning it in. And I think with Moira, whoever's been handling her direction, whoever's in charge of handling her direction... I just don't think the passion has been there for the character. And those of us who grew up in the 90s know Moira very well and are very happy with how she was treated, very happy with her history, and especially since Mystique also was responsible for her so-called death. Anyways, we can continue ranting on, but Moira X, her treatment editorially is on this list because we should have gotten in a better story. All right, number seven is Secret Invasion on Disney+. Plus. You're like, what? Secret Invasion aired this year? Yeah, it did. And I watched the first episode down in Miami. I remember I was really excited. We ordered a pizza. We sat down. I had my cherry Coke. I was like, ooh, a new Disney Plus show. I'm so excited. And it was bad. And wait, Do I want to say it was bad? I want to say it was lackluster. How about that? But I could not believe a series starring Nick Fury just didn't hold my attention. I mean, come on, you have Samuel Jackson there. Hello? Like, why is this series so lackluster? I think part of the reason is what I would have done if I was in, in, in at Marvel, I would have handled secret invasion like how they handled civil war. I would have done Captain Marvel Secret Invasion and who in the MCU is a scroll, and let people enjoy the story like that. Instead, we just got this lackluster Disney Plus series, which spoiler, spoiler, spoiler at the end of the first episode, you kill off Maria Hill, Colby Smulders. What? No. Uh, Oh, gosh. It was just so bad. I'll be honest with you. I didn't watch it after the first episode. That's it for me. Not to watch a Disney Plus series, I mean that tells you how uninterested I was in it. I was like, I can just if it's good, I'll revisit it, and no, it wasn't. And it's just it was really, really bad. And uh, no one seems to care that Rhodey, aka War Machine, is a scroll. No one's talked about it. I didn't even see spoilers for it on the internet. All right, and we get spoiled quite a lot on Instagram and. I did not see that anywhere. No one really has talked about it. I had to read it off a Wikipedia page like weeks after it happened. So sorry, Secret Invasion is on this list. It is very worrisome and sad that it did not do better. Number six is the wedding of Tony Stark and Emma Frost. I cannot believe how lackluster this was. It truly does baffle me that this was such a lackluster luster events because it had been foreshadowed for a while that the wedding of Tony Stark and Emma Frost was on the horizon. Now, I don't think any of us thought that they were going to get married out of being truly in love, especially since we knew this was going to be a fall of X book. But we all thought, okay, well, Tony had his basically his entire business hijacked from him and they have the Stark Sentinels. So, you know, the enemy of my enemy sort of situation. And that Emma had to go into hiding as Hazel Kendall. And I've seen some videos out there that say like, oh, Emma's real name is Hazel Kendall. It's like, no, Hazel is a homage to her mom. Like, not at all. Like, no one knows like the history of Emma Frost out there. But we got those beautiful covers of her in a beautiful wedding dress and Tony Stark and a big wedding party behind them. We knew we knew there wasn't going to be a big wedding party. You know what I mean? Because again, fall of X. So we know the covers were misleading, but the positioned it editorially would have been that Emma is still one of the only public facing mutants still around in the fall of X era. And she and Tony have a big h six spectacle of a wedding and it's just very hyperbolic and bombastic and emma uses stark resources to create her own x-men underground during fall of x and help fund any missions that's the way i would have done it instead they just got married at a chapel in vegas and she's wearing this ugly red dress and a really bad party city wig and these big old glasses Right? Because, you know, dyeing your hair brown and wearing glasses, no one's going to know that's Emma Frost. But it's fine. I get it. It's comics. But it was such a lackluster of an event. And the wedding of Tony Stark and Emma Frost could have gotten a lot more attention. And especially since Emma and Tony do have a relationship. And I do galas here in New York City. And I, I'm, I'm here to tell you, there are couples that walk in that are larger than life, and that's how I would picture Emma and Tony. That they are just at Cipriani's in the financial district, and they walk in, and like the press is trying to get quotes from them, photographers, the paparazzi are all out there. They're doing the step and repeat. They're they're that couple, that New York City power couple. And instead, this is just kind of like a very uninspired tail. And the way it even happened, again, one of the things, and this is Jerry Dugan's um, you know, approach characters, I don't think he makes these characters s- smart. You know, like if I were Tony and Emma, I would have sat down like getting married is probably going to be really smart for us because we can join assets and we can help, you know, create all these different resources during this really troubling time. But instead it's like, he's here like, wear this ring because it helps block your mutant powers. And she's like, no, I'm not going to do it. And throws it. And then he gets it down on, on a knee and like grabs it. And someone walks in. They're like, what? He's here like, yes, I'm proposing to my assistant. You know, it is so poorly done. It, it was just so poorly done. It was like a comedy of errors during what is supposed to be a very dark period for the mutants. Completely uninspired. Just not a fan of it. I, and I'm a fan of Tony and Emma together. I know I'm in the minority there, and that is totally fine. I That is one hill I will die on. <laughs> Nate and Maddie, Tony and Emma, I will die on those hills. Um, not only will I die, I will get resurrected by the five and die again on those hills. That's how much I believe in them. But I think Tony and Emma, regardless of how we feel about it individually, could have been a really good story. It could have been a larger-than-life story. And there could have been something there instead of just being a byproduct of like whimsical storytelling. It's my opinion, mm. mm. All right. Number five. And this is a really painful one for me. And I actually had it um, higher on my list here of some of the worst things that have happened this year as it pertains to Marvel in general. I had this higher, but it is comicsology folding. I have to tell you, Familia, I, I buy digitally. I mean, listen, this... We don't have enough space. I, I So funny. We we have a place in Miami and we have a place in in New York. And I'm telling you, they're small places and we don't have space for all of our comic book stuff. So print comics has always been a challenge for us. Even our first apartment was like something like 500, 600 square feet. And I remember we had stacks of comic books everywhere. So it was me, Jeff, Vic, and Apollo, and we had comic books everywhere everywhere. And when we finally were able to pivot to digital in 2010, I'll I'll always remember because you could download AVX at midnight on the comiXology app. Oh my God. It was a savior for space so much so that 13 years later, I do not buy physical weekly issues anymore. I go to the store. I look at things. Of course I will always be a Wednesday warrior, but predominantly I, I buy things, the individual issues on digital. And I, you know, than by the trades. So Comixology has been something that's been near dear to my heart. I actually even interviewed at Comixology and I got a job as one of the editors who are supposed to put the PDFs together, do the guided view. I don't remember what the job description was. It was like in 2012 when I interviewed. So it was before Amazon had acquired them. And I, I'll never forget, we were in the elevator. I was in the elevator with the HR resource person and, and the person who would be my manager and the elevator got stuck. And I'm terrified of elevators getting stuck. That's one of my big things. And I remember the HR contact got really nervous and apprehensive. And I had to like grab her, and be like, don't worry, we're gonna be fine. <laughs> so I think that's probably why they offered me the job. But it wasn't it wasn't good money back then. Certainly no better than what I was making um at another book publishing company I was at at the time. But Comixology, I loved. And I have seen Comixology through various incarnations. I remember how contentious it was once Amazon bought them and you could no longer do in-app purchases. And that was, let me tell you something. It was something of a fatal flaw for them, I think, back in retrospect, because a lot of people, even on Power of X-Men, have messaged me being like, oh, during the pandemic, when we we're just starting off, they'll be like, oh, I don't know how to buy things digitally. I don't understand it. So- Let me walk you guys through how it used to be. You used to be able to download the Comixology app and browse the store in-app and just hit buy, the in-app purchases. But when Amazon bought them, they eliminated that. So you'd have to go to like Comixology.com or Amazon.com, type in what you want, hit buy, and then it would download into the Comixology app. So the Comixology app basically became a reader, just like a comic reader and not a store. So, why that? Well, it's because that Apple takes a percentage of in-app purchases. And obviously, a powerhouse like Amazon's like, we're not giving you guys a percentage of our purchases. So absolutely not. So that's why in-app purchasing went away. I understand why in-app purchasing went away, but I think it just became a little nebulous for people who were trying to buy comics. And You know what? That was fine for a while, but but I used to enjoy browsing like the top 10 sales and stuff like that. And I'm shocked that during the pandemic, their sales didn't spike to such a point that they would have been able to stick around till this point. But Comixology has folded, sadly. I think it's just because Kindle has cannibalized it. And I was talking to someone who was saying, well, the Comixology app is basically a reskin Kindle app. And that may be true, and that may be fine, but I do like having my comics and my books separate. And it's brand loyalty, you know. And I think there was even a rumor a couple years ago that Amazon was going to come out with like a comicsology only like physical device reader. And I was like, oh, I would love that because again, like I have a Kindle. My husband bought me a Kindle, and it was fine. I was reading comics on it, but I was like, meh, I. My books are, on, I know it's so weird, such a weird mindset. But anyways, my husband ended up taking over the Kindle and I just used my phone to read comics on there. But I, I'm i really sad that Comixology has gone away. I will say I downloaded Dark X-Men number five today and it appeared in my Comixology app. So to what degree is it gone? I don't know. But I did look the other day. And when I looked up a comic book, it said Kindle version and not the Comixology version. I love the subscription. I had Comixology Unlimited. I got the discount. I love reading free comics. I was able to discover comics that I normally wouldn't wouldn't um, have read had they not been available on Comixology Unlimited. So it saddens me. I don't know what the state of future digital comics is. I hope they don't go away. I mean, I think comic book sales in general are just in jeopardy, and that is something that the entire industry and a lot of YouTubers are talking about, and it makes me sad. I don't want these weeklies to go away. I think there is this confusion out there that we don't have new comic book readers, and I think the comic book readers are here, but the stories are just not good. There's a lot of garbage being published weekly, so much more so now than it feels like it was before. And I just think... I think you have to treat your weekly readers with some sort of respect and intelligence, right? That is going to be my main criticism of where the X-Books are right now because I'm reading Fall of X and I'm like, wait a minute, there are no security cameras in this room? Like Orcus wouldn't know that? There's so many plot holes here. I, I, I said it even during Inferno, so even before Fall of X, but even during Inferno, I'm like, Mystique can just walk into Island M and grab Destiny's protocols. Like, mutant security does not account for shapeshifters, phasers, time travelers. What? And then, and then could Cable just, like, time slips in before the Hellfire Gala and Orcus is able to capture them? Like, so it's not even consistent on everything. You know what I mean? Like, so I just... I I just think the books I just think the books need to be better written, and I think there's a problem when people like myself, other readers I know who have been diehard X Men readers since Grant Morrison. Grant Morrison they brought us back to the books back in the early aughts. We have been reading everything weekly, even through Age of X Men, even through Inhumans versus X Men. We read those weekly. And the fact that we have dropped off or we think, oh, we can wait to see when it's on Marvel Unlimited, that's a problem. That is a serious problem. So I hope the, I hope the powers that be see the value in digital comics and that format doesn't go away. I will say, I used to work in ebooks at Hachette Book Group. And there's always going to be a larger percentage of readers who prefer physical copies. And digital will always be a certain percentage in 2012 ebooks not comic books but just ebooks just ebooks i would say ebooks accounted for about 15 to 20% of the readers market that's just what it is i am sure i don't know if that number's grown i don't know if it plateaued but you know we did see a, a larger percentage of people enjoying hardcovers and paperbacks and digital just has to be you know, the percentage of the market that it is, maybe it's plateaued. I don't know. Pandemic ruined a lot of things in terms of businesses. Maybe there was a huge spike in digital copies because everyone was on lockdown and now it's sort of even itself out. Just like Hasbro, you know, we, we know that Hasbro had seen itself um, grow during the pandemic, during lockdown. And now it's kind of like, Oh, those gross, that growth is no longer present. So let's see how everything unfolds. All right. Number four who's going to get good. Number four is Quantum Mania. <laughs> wow. We knew we were in trouble when Quantum Mania premiered that weekend. Oh, God. I I remember Ralph from No More Mutants sent me the press screening for it down in Miami. And I was so excited. I'm like, oh, I'm going to a Quantum Mania press screening in Miami. I'm just so excited for this movie was terrible oh my god the Modoc cgi and you know There was an article out there where it talked about fans were upset over the CGI for MODOK. And now we know Victoria Alonso had been dropping the ball with special effects. And listen, I I just read the reign of the MCU. I happen to like Victoria Alonso quite a bit. But there is no denying that the CG in in some of the Marvel movies, specifically Quantum Mania, you can tell the ball was dropped or they were just being rushed. It was horrendous. MODOK deserved Way better than that. But the movie was just very lackluster. And the world building was terrible for it. We talk a lot about world building here on the podcast, and that's because that's a DNA of the story. How can you expect us to believe in this fantastical realm, this fantastical world, if you're not even going to establish proper rules, if the creator isn't even sitting down and properly establishing the rules and laws of this fictional universe? And we saw a lot of that in quantum mania, specifically with the quantum realm. It just didn't make any sense to me. But that that moment in the movie, and I haven't seen the movie since I went to the premiere back in February, I, God, like, when Scott Lang is in this reality point, and it's from this point on, all various possibilities of you exist, and then all of a sudden there was a Baskin and Robbins version of him, I'm like, wait a minute, if this is supposed to start from when he enters the room, it makes sense that it would just be Scott Lang in his costume doing various things up until that point. Does not mean from previously from that point. It's just him there. Why would there be a Baskin and Robbins version of him there other than a gag, other than you're, you don't think your audience is smart enough to understand the concepts you're putting there? And that's the one thing I'm going to tell you that I think is really insulting with Marvel right now. They don't think their readers, their viewers are particularly intelligent. And anytime you push back on them, they get a little angry and they get defensive you know and that's really upsetting because i think we all love marvel we take the source material very seriously i take it very seriously i will live and die by the rules you establish but be consistent and Mania, also like just did not set up kang as a threatening villain i'm sorry kang we're told here and this is Kang the Conqueror. He took down the Avengers. And we had seen him as He Who Remains, who had died at the end of Loki season one. And now we're here. We see him in, as Kang the Conqueror. We're like, oh, shit's going to go down. And Wasp and Ant-Man are the ones that take him down? This guy got this guy killed Thor. Are you telling me that Wasp and Ant-Man could take him down? No, sorry. Don't believe it. I, I love Paul Rudd. Quite a bit, but there's no way that Paul Rudd can take on Jonathan Majors. I mean, Jonathan Majors, come on. No way, Jose. I'm sorry. Especially if Kang is the one who killed Thor in a previous dimension. No, absolutely not. But regardless, Kang is killed. Yet again, and I know we see in the post-credit scenes there are so many different versions of Kangs. But as an audience member, that's twice Kang has died, and then spoilers for Loki season two, we get to see him die over and over again. And it's like this—this this is not a threatening villain whatsoever. And Kang is a threatening villain. So, Quantum Mania, poor storytelling and did not set up Kank properly. I will say the, the two best things of this movie were Michelle Pfeiffer and Jonathan Majors' performances. And, you know, we'll wait and see with everything that's going on with Jonathan Majors and his court case. The Cut actually released an article detailing all of the allegations against him. I've been debating if we want to go through it on the podcast because I myself don't understand everything, and I pride myself in trying to understand everything before I form an opinion. So... You know, regardless of what's going on with Jonathan Majors on the legal front, I think for Quantum Mania, he delivered a fantastic performance. I was definitely really excited to see Kang being a major player in the MCU. Thought him and Michelle Pfeiffer together, they just had such wonderful chemistry. The entire movie could have just been Jonathan Majors and Michelle Pfeiffer talking, and I would have enjoyed it. But let's see what they do with Kang in the future. I guess we're getting Kang Dynasty. I guess we're getting Kang Dynasty and Michael Wong is going to be writing it. Like, oh, gosh, Marvel does not learn from their mistakes whatsoever. All right. The next are our top three. And they. I'm going to get really intense about it. So, Familia, mm, I'm sipping some coffee. Get comfortable. Let's talk about it. Number three are the deaths of Cannonball and Dazzler at the Hellfire Gala. Now, listen, I didn't particularly like the Hellfire Gala, but there is no denying that it probably sold really well. How how well I don't know. We're not seeing numbers, you know, being posted anymore post pandemic, but there was a media halo regarding the release of the hellfire gala and people tuned in they saw it everyone was talking about it so in that regard speaking about it from a social media perspective it was a slam dunk because everyone everyone was talking about the hellfire gala now i don't mind that nimrod comes in and massacres the mutants right my thing is the execution of it so you know you have jubilee looking up after she's nominated Jubilee who's been with the team for decades you know real world time editorially Jubilee has been a long established X-character she's been on generation X she's been on the X-bed she's been a vampire she is a seasoned X-man she's nominated and she points up at the sky and says oh look a shooting star for good luck you're fucking kidding me that our iconic Mallrat thinks that Nimrod, who's coming to kill them all, is a shooting star? What an insult. I'm sorry, that is a fucking insult to the reader and to the character. Anyways, Nimrod comes, crashes the Hellfire Gala, and kills the nominated X-Men. Two of those nominated X-Men, Cannonball and Dazzler, technically are immortal and cannot die. And if you want to address it in story, if Nimrod comes in, kills the, the those X-Men, and then looks at Dazzler and Cannonball and goes, oh, you guys are immortals. I have somebody special for you. And then whatever special Nimrod juju he wants to do, fine, but at least address it. They don't even address it. Cannonball and Dazzler are literally cut in half. And I'm sorry, I don't need to see my favorite mutants massacred like that it's like ultimatum right with the the crossover that ended the ultimate universe initially ultimatum i don't need to see that Hugh valerie cherish i don't need to see that i think it was such an insult and such a lack of awareness to these characters and their history right because every mutant is unique and you cannot just kill them all in one swoop like that the way i would have done that scene is that nimrod comes and crashes it and Frenzy's like no and grabs Nimrod by like the by, with her like fist or or hand, grabs Nimrod with her hand and stops him midair and like a sonic boom goes off and it throws everyone off course. Something like that's something cool. But you're telling me he's gonna stop on Frenzy? Ooh, gross. I don't know. Frenzy is such a strong powerhouse. You know, and similarly, Cannonball is supposed to be invulnerable when he's fired up. He's supposed to be invulnerable. Fucking Gladiator, an otherworldly are she- guard, cannot even lay a hand on Cannonball when he's powered up. I'm sorry, d- d- does no one read the books at the X office I mean, you have the writer, you have assistant editors, you have the editor, and then you have the editor-in-chief. Like, does nobody read what has been published before? Because Cannonball shouldn't die like that. We saw that when he was on the X-Men, that Christmas issue that we love so much. You're telling me that no one read that issue, that they don't know that Cannonball is supposed to be invulnerable when he's fired up, and that also he's one of the few immortals out there. that he cannot die. Similarly with Dazzler, the ongoing... Plot that has never been resolved with Dazzler is that she can never die. I guess they just resolved it because she dies, but Dazzler is not supposed to die. And there's even fan art out there where they show Dazzler on the ground dead and then her eyes lighting up. And she's like, What? I guess I'm alive or something like that. Fan art. Fans know more about these character histories than the people who actually work on it. And here's the thing. Of course, hire good writers. And just because you're a good writer doesn't mean you know all the history of of the X-Men and all those nuances. I understand that. It's a lot of history. You're not going to make everyone happy because you can't tackle all of the history of one single panel. I understand that. But you should have an editor who their job is to understand the character's history, the essence of the character, and why the character lands so well with fans and help the writer achieve that. And again... Or something like where you're gonna kill two immortal characters, you have to tackle that. It is baffling to me that they did not tackle that. That it they're, and they're earnestly dead, so it's not even like oh later on, haha, we've been secretly alive. You know, you thought we were dead, but we're actually alive. Like no, it, 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 here we are in December, and this published in July, and these characters for all intents and purposes are just dead. Will we see something different in Dead X Men by Steve Fox? I we love Steve Fox here at at Power of X Men. I think Dark X Men is the best Fall of X book. I loved his X Men 92 book that he did, which was basically Jubilee taking the place of Moira, the animated series taking place on Krakoa, you know, just kind of like a what if scenario. I think that's, I think he's a really capable writer. I am hoping he will tackle that. And if he does, we can eliminate this number three spot from our list. But because Dead X-Men isn't coming out till next year, we're going to give it here on 2023. But it is really insulting to me that Dazzler and Cannibal are dead and no one's bothered to tackle it. We had Jordan D. White on the podcast a couple of years ago. And I asked him, I was like, oh, Marauders, you know, Emma said that my sister Cordelia won't be resurrected on Krakoa. And I told him, I was like, hey, Jordan, I think that was Like, Did Cordelia die off screen? Because it's Adrian, the one who died. And I know, you can roll your eyes, this is me being nitpicky and that's fine, but listen, there has to be a space, or there has to be people who take the continuity of this fictional universe seriously, right? And it wasn't Cordelia who died at the end of Generation X, it was Adrian. And Jordan D. White was like, yeah, I guess that was an error. And I was like, are you kidding me? Like, you, you're the editor! You're the editor, bro! Like, and if you didn't catch that single detail, the proofreaders didn't catch it, the other editors didn't catch it, the writer didn't catch it, it's just one of those things where it's like, I'm tired of Marvel not respecting the continuity they put out. So they're putting out this continuity that readers need to abide by, and when we do... You know, we get penalized for being like, wait a minute, what about this? What about that? And I, I know there's that trope. Varying Lad loves to say this all the time on the podcast a wizard did it. And that's fine. I get it. I, I understand the absurdity of the situation. But these characters are more to a lot of us than just characters on a piece of paper. Like, we're taking their history seriously. But okay, did I rant enough about Cannonball and Dazzler? Do you guys have theories as to why they, they died? <laughs> I would love to hear them. Drop them in the comments below. All right. Number two. All right. We're in our top two here, Familia. Thank you for sticking by all these rants. Number two most disappointing thing of X-Men slash Marvel this year is the Marvels. I am so sad that the Marvels was a box office bomb. Not only am I upset that it was a box office bomb, but this is a movie that established the X-Men in the MCU. They even were promoting it uh, on on TV spots saying watch what comes next and like the words like the word next, the N, the E and the T would fade and then the X would remain lingering prominently. We knew the X-Men were going to be in this movie in one way shape or form. So spoiler warning, spoiler warning if you haven't seen the Marvels, which I would assume is most people because it was such a box office bomb. But having Hank McCoy there at the end of the Marvels, oh, he looks so good. And we have a movie with Photon. And then Photon wakes up and her mom is there. Not only is her mom there, but her mom is binary. My God! And a Calvin from From the Ashes was like, that's a really ugly costume. And I was like, you know what? The costume did look a little off, but... Listen, I'm not so invested in the binary costume how it looks on on screen. I'm just happy that we have binary in, in in the Marvel universe. I mean, whoever would ever thought we we would have binary, right? But I cannot believe that this was a box office bomb. Not only was it a box office bomb, it's the lowest tracking MCU box office, and it just makes me so sad because I like Brie Larson. I've kind of have discovered I am really a Brie Larson stan. I loved her in United States of Terra, loved her in Scott Pilgrim. I listened to Black Sheep probably every day, and I love her version so much. I loved Room. I worked on the book Room when I was at Hachette, and when I saw the movie, I cried. And Well, I guess post-pandemic, I'm a bit of a crier, but at that time in my life, I was not a crier. So I loved Room, and during the pandemic, I loved her YouTube channel. So I'm kind of a Brie Larson stan. And I think she delivered a great performance. Not only does she deliver a great performance, she looked badass in the movie. I was like, damn, that is Captain Marvel. Similarly, I love Tiana Paris so much as Photon. I love the character Photon. I say this all the time. Next Wave Agents of Hate is one of my favorite at-large Marvel stories. She's featured there prominently. She's in Marvel Divas, and I think Marvel Divas is such a fun read. So having Photon Monica Rambeau in the MCU, oh, so great. And as I've already said, Iman Vellani, perfect casting as Miss Marvel. And she was a scene stealer. Imon Vellani could not be on screen and not take all of the attention away from what was happening because she was such a joy to watch. And I don't think the movie was bad. I'm sorry, Familia. Like you can drop your feels below. It certainly was better than Thor: Love and Thunder, and it certainly was better than Quantum Mania. I'll tell you that it was better than She-Hulk. I it, it was better than those three properties. And I don't understand why it was such a bomb. I get it. Brie Larson has made comments in the past. I get it that there seems to be this like vibe out there that we want to see things fail, that we're so angry, but like fine. But like you can't look at this movie and walk away and say that it was bad. A lot of people were like, oh, the plot didn't make sense and all this stuff. I'm like, no, the plot was fine. Certainly no worse than any other MCU films. As I've stated, it wasn't it wasn't a plot as involved as the winter soldier, right? I, for me, Winter Soldier is probably one of the best MCU films. Just my opinion. Don't come after me. Just just my opinion. For non-Endgame, non-Infinity War level movies, I think Winter Soldier is, is pretty up there. So I get it that the Marvels wasn't of that kind of level. But when you see something like No Way Home, I'm sorry. <laughs> no Way Home was fun, don't get me wrong. And I love No Way Home quite a bit. But No Way Home does not have a very engrossing plot and 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 certainly the marvels is of that caliber and it wasn't a bad movie it wasn't deserving of being the lowest mcu film ever and it's very disappointing and again I, I got a message on one of those NGLs I did for for the Instagram page, and someone was like, oh, you used to be my favorite page out there, but now you no longer are because you scolded me for not seeing the Marvels you know, opening weekend. It's like having a wonderful meal and then realizing the waiter farted in your mouth. First of all, props on such an involved analogy there. But I want to say that I was embittered the weekend the Marvels came out because as an X-Men podcaster slash YouTuber, the one thing that we have all been waiting for, the one thing we would dream of is having the X-Men in the MCU. And Beast looked great there. And no one showed up. No one showed up. In fact, and I'm not going to name names, but I saw people who are quote unquote diehard X-Fans. Not even go opening weekend knowing that the X Men were going to play a role in the Marvels. Didn't even show up. But everyone showed up for Endgame. Everyone showed up when there was a new Avengers movie. Everyone showed up for Multiverse of Badness. Everyone showed up for Thor. Everyone showed up for Guardians of the Galaxy. But no one showed up for the Marvels. That was a huge insult. So I did get, I did take it personally that weekend. If I insulted anyone, of course, I am going to apologize. Of course, that's not the vibe we want to be here. But Surely there must be some kind of understanding that like, wow, we have invested so much time in the X-Men IP now that we have the X-Men officially in the MCU and no one showed up for it. No one was talking about it. I am telling you this. And someone else was like, oh, well, that doesn't really count because he wasn't that known of a character. When Avengers 1 finished and we got that first post-credit scene with Mm -hmm. Thanos... Everyone was talking about Thanos and what this could mean. And again, this person was like, well, you're making the comparison of the post credit scene with Thanos in Avengers 1, and no one really knew who he was, so it's not really applicable. I don't know what their argument was, to be honest with you. But my point being is that after Avengers 1, this, at the time, D-list character, Thanos, everyone was talking about Thanos and asking who Thanos was. No one has been talking about the X-Men in the MCU. No one. There's no hype for the X-Men in the MCU. And that is why this is number two. It makes me so sad. It makes me perpetually sad. Also, again, this was a this was a female-led movie that wasn't reaching anything, right? I mean, I don't want to go to this movie and it's gonna proselytize the message. This movie was just fun. It wasn't trying to call out anyone, it wasn't trying to say anything, it was just a superhero movie starring three female leads it was great three female leads who have ties two of them have ties to the x men you have carol who obviously goes on to be binary and you have miss marvel who's a mutant now in the comics and then you have a post credit scene with the x men and binary and photon i mean the fact that this movie bombed it just it makes me really afraid that The era that we could have gotten with the X-Men, the potential era that we could have seen them rise to prominence in the way the Avengers did, I think that ship has sailed. It has made me really, really nervous. And maybe they just took too long to bring the X-Men into the MCU. Maybe they just really took too long to bring them into the MCU, but it makes me sad. All right, number one, my number one biggest disappointment of the year. Are you ready for this? Mm. My number one biggest disappointment of the year. Is the X Men 60th anniversary? There has been no celebration for the X Men 60th anniversary. Now, of course, we got that Zoom back in March where we had the Lee Waltz, Larry Houston, Grant Morrison, Jonathan Hickman, Louise Simonson, Chris Claremont. Of course, of course, of course, we had that Zoom. But in terms of an editorial story, we got nothing. It's absolutely nothing there. And for 50 years, we got Battle of the Atom. We got that Battle of the Atom crossover 10 years ago to celebrate 50 years. We got nothing. Now, I know we're supposed to get this one shot for original X Men this month, but are you kidding me? Like, with two weeks left of the year, like, you have not even done something huge to celebrate the X Men in 60 years? I mean, the Hellfire Gala did not count. I'm sorry. Fall of X is so dismal. It's not a celebration of the character. 60 years. The Avengers got a, a Haslab Giant Man. <laughs> you know what I mean? They got they got Giant Man as a Haslab. What are we getting? We didn't even get a lot of Marvel Legends this year. You know, we have a program happening next year for Wolverine's 50th anniversary. <laughs> you know, well, rumors, supposedly, right? We'll We'll find out in tomorrow's Hasbro fan stream. But... If we are going to get those two packs those rumored two packs for wolverine's 50th anniversary i think based off of ryan ting's instant story it's likely that we're getting it but you got to be kidding me that the x-men turned 60 this year and it has not been celebrated in the comics and we're getting some of the worst storytelling out there it just makes me so upset and you know on instagram x twitter social media at large The day that X-Men 1 had been published, we all celebrated, you know, online. And I don't think that Marvel even threw up a tweet about it. I mean, again, I, I think what I'm getting tired of being a Marvel fan now is caring more about these IPs as a fan than the actual creators or publishers do. And, you know, I could have just been spoiled when I was working in book publishing. I don't know why I keep talking about book publishing so much on the podcast recently, but... I, I have to tell you, the editor and the writer were the most passionate. They would have to go to booksellers. They would have to go to the sales team. They would have to go to marketing and publicity and really push and be big advocates for their books. And of course, readers consume it and loved it and stuff like that. So. I don't understand why with these X-Books, why we're not getting people who are so incredibly passionate about what they're doing and being like, it's been 60 years since the X-Men, 60 years, and you need to read this book that's coming out because we're just looking ahead to the future. We're celebrating the past and looking ahead to the future of X-Men. I'm just not seeing that. I'm just not seeing that. And I get it. The internet is probably filled with a lot of trolls. And even people like myself, who are more well-meaning but still have grievances, it can get overwhelming. If you're a creator or an editor or work at you know one of the the bigger comic pu- publishers, but you just got to tune out that 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 noise and just move forward and just keep your head focused on why you love these characters so much and what makes these characters special. And again. Nothing. No no major celebration for the X-Men 60th anniversary. and Maybe that's going to change with this original X-Men one-shot. I don't know. I've seen some of the preview pages. I've met Greg Land before at Megacon. He's a real nice guy. I really liked Greg Land. And obviously, we love Phoenix and Song. But, you know, a lot of his work can be rushed sometimes. And the pages I saw looked a little bit uninspired. And, you know, there are the allegations that he traces a lot. And that's fine. But I let's see where it lands at the end of the day. I'm I hope to be wrong, but I don't think a one shot is going to make up for 12 months of not celebrating the X-Men's 60th anniversary. Like Battle of the Atom, you knew that was a celebration of the X-Men's, you know, 50th. It, you really did. I mean, whether you like the story or not and the story is neither here nor there in my opinion, but It was a celebration of the mutants of the past, of the present, and the future. And so far, we haven't gotten any of that in the books right now. Anyways, Familia, there we go. That is our list of the top 10 biggest disappointments of Marvel X-Men this year. And it really saddens me that this has been a really tough year to be a Marvel fan because we got spoiled. We were so spoiled years prior. Oh, gosh. Can you imagine in the same year we got Endgame, and we got House of X and Powers of 10. Oh, how wonderful was that time? Oh, I missed 2019 so much. Can we just take a time machine and go back to 2019? Because that was a really great vibe. And we thought it was only going to get better. We thought we could only climb higher and higher. And, and yet here we are, low box office sales and the Xbox getting a relaunch. And we're saying goodbye to the Krakoan era. Make no mistake, the Krakoan era is going to go away. And I... And I think that's horrible because, again, the Krokoan era revitalized the IP. I think the key with it is just to get newer audiences um, into those comic book stores and get them excited for something like Krakoa. But I think Rob Liefeld said it best on his podcast, the X-Men work when they are outcasts. I do think the mutant metaphor and what it means to be other in society has morphed quite a bit since the 90s and 80s, but... That's why you bring in writers to try to sort of find a bridge of respecting what the X-Men are and how do you make them applicable to modern audiences. But, you know, I, I can't fault higher ups at Marvel, you know, thinking, OK, well, it's time for Krakoa to go because we're just not seeing the sales. I mean, the X-Men at the mansion, I, I, that's where I came of age reading the X-Men. I remember going to the comic book store being 9, 10 years old and being surrounded by fellow 9 to 10 year old readers. And now you go into a comic book store and it's just older fans. And in order for these IPs to survive and thrive, you need to appeal to everyone. And when people are like, when, when I see younger audiences being like, oh, yeah, I'm such a big Marvel fan. They only know the movies. They only know the movies. They don't know the comics. And that was very different for us growing up, which we knew the comics and we had hoped we'd get movies one day or we loved the video games at Fleer Ultra. So, you know, unfortunately, comic books, you need to appeal to vast demographics in order for you to get those 100k monthly shipments, you know, of those titles. And I don't think those numbers are there anymore. But again, that's just speculation because we don't know how things are selling and how digital has played a role in it. Anyways, Familia, what do you think? How has this, how's 2023 been for you as a marvel slash x men fan drop your feels below do you agree with my list it's okay if you don't agree disagree i only ask that you be respectful but it's okay to disagree do you think there was something else that should have been on here leave your thoughts below familia and we'll chat later